Hello and welcome to Business Lines Pulse podcast that tunes into all things health and pharmaceuticals. I'm Jyoti Datta. If there's one thing that the COVID pandemic has done, it's to put the spotlight on hospitals. And hospitals have pretty much been baptized by fire during the pandemic, not just in India, but across the world as well. Giving us an inside track on how hospitals are coping with the pandemic and how they prepare for what's coming next, we have with us today the person who held not just one, but two key hospital chains in the country. And in his career of over three decades, I think he has headed both the Wokhart and the Fortis Network of Hospitals. Our conversation today is with Mr. Vishal Bali, Executive Chairman of Asia Healthcare Holdings. Thank you, Vishal, for joining us. It's a pleasure to join you for this conversation. So, you know, there is almost a sense of deja vu here. Earlier this year, we had this conversation of hospitals filling up and how it was difficult to get admitted into a hospital. And here we are in December and we've just had the U.S. infectious diseases expert, Anthony Fauci, say that hospitals are going to come under pressure again because of the highly transmissible Omicron variant of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. So what is it that you are seeing in India? Are the large hospitals coming under pressure again? It is indeed deja vu, right? If you take a look at the last year data, COVID has now impacted close to 270 million people worldwide, and it has killed 5.0 million people worldwide. So obviously, when we thought that we had sort of dealt with the Delta virus, there comes Omicron and while the hospitalization rate has not increased right now, but it is very clear that India's current data, again, as far as Omicron is concerned, seems relatively low compared to the rest of the world. And I guess it's again back to the fact that we are probably still not testing enough to understand what is really the depth of Omicron within the Indian subcontinent. Because the way that things are happening, you know, whether it is the Africa subcontinent or the US or Europe right now, I think it's just a function of time before Omicron actually makes its impact into India. And this January, February timeline that everybody is talking about, I think India is going to get equally impacted by it like the other countries. Right. That is quite worrying, actually. So, in fact, you had written even for Business Line, you know, how the pandemic and the surge kind of overwhelms even the best of institutions, you know, whether it's in terms of the beds, the oxygen, ventilators, the human resource and so on. So what are hospitals doing to cope with this? What have they learned from the second wave? And as they prepare possibly for another one, however limited or not on the horizon? So I think, Jyoti, a couple of lessons that institutions have learned, both from the first wave and the second wave. I think lesson number one is to follow strict protocols around the infection control processes per se. Right? I mean, we have institutions in our country which are overwhelmed with patients, even otherwise. And I think what COVID threw up was everybody who had even the slightest of symptoms wants to get into the hospital because of the very varied nature of this disease. You know, sometimes it throws up symptoms, sometimes it does not throw up symptoms. So the population in general is very scared about being identified as a COVID positive patient. And so therefore, everybody wants to head to the hospital. So it does create a tremendous amount of pressure on the hospital infrastructure because of the segregation requirements of COVID and non-COVID patients. Secondly, I think what we also saw in the first and the second wave are the number of clinicians and also paraclinicians which got impacted by the disease. 
So while there is, as it is, a very poor supply of clinicians and paraclinicians in our country, during the COVID time, that became even less because one person quarantined means that 14 days lost for that individual and that individual's capability to look after patients. So I think one of the biggest lessons that has been learned is create very strict protocols, create constant testing. Thirdly, create a segregated infrastructure. We now have almost in every institution a separate COVID intensive care unit so that patients are not getting mixed up in one general intensive care unit. And lastly, I think also sensitizing the community from the perspective of home quarantine and that you can also be looked after at home to reduce the pressure on the hospitals. So I think particularly during the second wave, we saw the impact of what it would mean to look after COVID-positive patients at home through remote care. And that reduced the burden on the hospitals to some extent. But I think given the nature of the way that Omicron is behaving right now, where the spread is going to be much higher than the intensity of the clinical condition of the individual, I think we will again have a situation where we will be short of beds in January and February if the conditions continue to sustain the way they are right now in the rest of the world. And like we spoke last time, so yeah, both with home care and a lot of digital teleconferencing or tele methods to sort of interact with doctors and other, other facilities. So I think we're going to see hospitals doing more of that in terms of segregating not acute or chronic patients and continuing to keep their treatments going, I suppose. Yeah, Jyoti, because I think, you know, even when we saw the disease pattern last time, I think those who were COVID positive but had other comorbid conditions, and if they did not react to their symptoms early, those were the ones who went into institutions, into the intensive care units with bad overall clinical conditions. So I think what is very, very important for the community at large is to identify their symptoms early is to take corrective actions early. And as we have seen in also the way that the community and many in the community also come out of being COVID positive and come out without really too many clinical complications is fundamentally because they took hold of their condition early. The longer you wait, the worse you suffer. So I think that is really one key learning out of the entire COVID situation and particularly I think the bigger problem this time is that we have one part of the population which is vaccinated and we have another part of the population which is completely unvaccinated, which is our children. And with schools and colleges and everything continuing right now, I know, I mean, right now it's probably the winter break time, but after the winter break, if everybody is going to go back to schools and colleges unvaccinated, that's going to be the big problem. So I think we also need at uh, India level we need a quick decision point, particularly around vaccination of children, because they need to be saved in this situation. Absolutely. I think that is a discussion that everybody seems to be having now and they're waiting for the government to give some sort of a direction on this. On the operations of hospitals, Vishal, so at the start of all of this, there was only the non-COVID surgeries were being set aside and it was entirely focused on COVID. But our hospitals now, you know, have they been able to separate the two, especially since, as you pointed out, with certain treatments, you can't really keep it for another day. If something needs to be done, it needs to get done. So has that kind of segregation happened? Is there greater confidence in that? 
There definitely is. And, you know, when I look at our own portfolio of companies across the multi-specialty hospital chains, across the single-specialty hospital chains, I think as the lessons of COVID wave 2 sort of got more ingrained into our systems, we also realized that both COVID and non-COVID care has to continue in parallel. Because, you know, many of the patients who were sort of pushing back their procedures, particularly when it came to cardiac procedures or neuro procedures, even oncology care to that extent, were paying a big price because by postponing their procedures, they were not really curing themselves of an issue that they had on hand because of the COVID scare. So I think now hospitals have sort of come to a structure wherein both COVID and non-COVID care, because of the segregation protocols that are being followed very diligently now inside the institutions, both COVID and non-COVID care is running in parallel. In fact, in some of our portfolio companies, we now see, you know, earlier we were seeing literally 60% of the admissions coming through, particularly for the intensive care and critical care patients were COVID and 40% were non-COVID, but they were all being handled very well simultaneously. So I think what one can take respite from is the fact that the healthcare sector, the healthcare industry and the institutions within the healthcare sector have now put together protocols where emergency care, non-COVID elective work or elective care and COVID-related care can all move parallelly inside the enterprise, inside the institution with the segregation of beds, with the segregation of floors, with the identification of segregation of intensive care beds, um, and also the segregation of staffing, staffing which is looking after the COVID patients and staffing which is looking after the non-COVID patients. Social distancing, you know, within the staff, staffing areas too. So there is a lot of new protocol that has been put in place, which is giving a lot of confidence to the patient community that they can go into the hospitals and get themselves treated for non-COVID care. That is a huge learning and that would, I think, make a huge difference because a lot of procedures were sort of set aside or kept for a later date. And yet, you know, with the worry of Omicron being there, we are seeing governments like we'd seen even with Delta, where in Maharashtra and Rajasthan, we saw governments sort of roping in more private hospitals to be part of the care. Now we see that Delhi has already, you know, sort of roped in four private hospitals. Then sometimes there are price caps or, or things like that. So what would be your thoughts on such actions? So I think, Jyoti, the fact of the matter is that the government cannot handle the COVID crisis without a very, very active participation of the private sector. We all have to come to terms with the fact that the private sector is a dominant provider of healthcare in this country. And if we have to meet the COVID situation, both the government and the private sector have to work together. We have to consolidate our forces over here. We have to try and create infrastructure. For example, even the COVID care centers, which were put in the last wave, while much of the infrastructure was being put by the government. But as far as the manning of those centers was concerned, it was all coming from the private sector. So this is a combined battle. This is like going to war together. And I don't think we have a choice over here. Obviously, the private sector institutions are overwhelmed because most of the people want to go into the private sector because they believe that the quality of care that they will get is better compared to when they end up being in government institutions, which don't have the technology and the infrastructure available in many of the smaller government institutions, where the 
bigger government institutions have everything. So we have to combine forces also with the talent that is sitting on the private side, particularly on the critical care side, on the intensive care side, which is heavily required in a COVID situation. And the, one of the big lessons the last time on was reach out to the private sector faster. And it should not be just about, you know, price capping and price control. Because I think the government now also understands that the private sector actually takes on a lot more cost when they start treating COVID patients because of the segregation, as I was talking about. So I think if there is a sensitivity here, which is also developed, that this should not be just about capping prices and telling the private sector to do X and Y. It is about creating a plan together. It is about working together and it is about using the capacity to the optimum, both on the government and on the private side. Right, because there is there is a real huge challenge that happens, especially as we've seen with the surges. Do you think that it has made people more sensitive or more aware of health insurance? Have they, you know, do you, do you think that this has been a discussion that's had for a long time that until people get sick, we don't really begin to think about health insurance. Things may have changed a little, but has the pandemic made more people a little more aware on this? Absolutely, Jyoti. So I think one of the biggest realization for the community at large is to protect their own healthcare situations and also to protect the costs that they need to incur in case they have to be hospitalized. Because everyone in every family, there has been a COVID situation. While some have, you know, some have dealt with it easily, others have gone through hospitalization and incurred significant amount of costs. So, uh, you know, everybody has now realized that one hospitalization means that if they are not well insured, that it could take them back financially, you know, it could be a high cost situation for them. So protecting yourself and your health through a proper health insurance product for yourself and for your family, I think has become a big push for people. In fact, health insurance premiums this year have seen a significant rise. And obviously, I think as the year goes by and we come to the next fiscal year, we will see a lot more happening in terms of number of people who are also increasing their overall health insurance coverage uh, because of what COVID has done to many families. So which is, which is good because as you know that India has been a heavily underinsured population and we definitely need uh, to get to at least the 65-70% mark of overall health insurance penetration inside the community for us to be protected to some degree uh, with a third-party uh, payer system. Over the last few years, we've also seen large private equity investing in hospitals, bringing up the concern that you know maybe hospitals will end up becoming only profit-oriented and possibly overlook the patient. How would you read a situation like this? So, Jyoti, I think this is often a conversation, right, that private equity is taking a major role in the in private Indian healthcare ecosystem. The fact of the matter is that there is not a single private healthcare in enterprise in this country which has not been funded for its growth on the back of private equity capital. In fact, uh, you know, I would actually turn back and say that if India is actually receiving better healthcare infrastructure and better quality of healthcare, it is fundamentally powered by the growth 
and by funding, which has happened through the private equity route, basically because there was no other form of funding that was available to many of these healthcare enterprises as they began to grow from one small hospital to a large hospital network. So the private equity enterprises have actually played a big role. And there is, you know, almost now close to about six, seven billion dollars, which has been invested behind private equity with various healthcare provider groups in the country. And also the maturity that many multi-specialty hospital chains, the single specialty hospital chains like us at AHH, and many of these standalone enterprises too, you know, a maturity of their healthcare infrastructure and their offering of clinical services has happened on the back of this funding. It's a misnomer to say that, you know, private equity only looks at profitability. Private equity actually creates efficiency of healthcare systems. Uh, you know, so while a lot of people think about that as profit creation, but it is not profit creation, what we are trying basically to do through private equity is to create sustainable healthcare enterprises, not necessarily massively profitable healthcare enterprises. Because if these enterprises become sustainable, they will grow and they will go and create more healthcare infrastructure within the country. They will create more penetration of healthcare infrastructure in the tier two and the tier three cities where it is required today. So I think private equity has a big role to play in the Indian healthcare ecosystem. And frankly, I think, Jyoti, the private equity players have also come in on the back of the fact that the government has underspent on healthcare in this country for many, many years now. If the government had not created an opportunity of only spending 0 0.7, 0 0.9, 1% of GDP on healthcare and the onus of responsibility of providing healthcare to a large group of Indian citizens had not gone on to the private side, then we would have probably not seen this level of penetration of private equity on the healthcare side because then there would have been a more equitable structure because the government was also spending two and a half, three, four percent, like in other countries, in terms of setting up healthcare infrastructure. So I think we have to balance this entire situation when we think about the role that private equity plays behind India's healthcare. And now, you know, you will see the same kind of trend which is evolving on the digital side. You know, the, the amount of capital that venture capital is today putting and private equity is putting on the digital healthcare side is equally high. You know, Indian companies have raised almost close to four and a half billion dollars over the last couple of years in terms of digital and health tech, which is going to be the next round of growth for healthcare in this country. That is not being powered by the government. That is being powered by private capital. So I think we need to, in some way, also thank the existence of this capital for giving us new models of healthcare and for giving us more advanced infrastructure. Correct. So we have one more budget coming up next year, and we'll have to see if that number of uh, on the healthcare spending goes up. I mean, I think we've been watching that for a long time now, and it's been abysmally low. So at AHH, you've been investing in a lot more single brand hospitals. What's the rationale behind this? So the rationale, Jyoti, was that we believe that the single specialty healthcare delivery system in this country is one way of accelerating the presence of healthcare enterprise across the country in a very quick time. And the reason being that, you know, when you have limited number of beds, you are able to accelerate and execute much faster. So as you know, that the first chain that we created under AHH 
was AOI, or American Oncology Institute, which is also called CDSI, where we went and created 13 oncology hospitals in the country in just about three and a half, four years' time. We became the second largest hospital chain focused on oncology in this country, vis-a-vis one of our biggest competitors who had been there in the country for almost about 20-odd years. So again, because of that focus on single specialty, because on the focus on radiation, medical and surgical oncology and nothing else, and going into many of the tier two cities and creating the opportunity of tier two India getting good oncology care, we were able to set that up. Likewise, we have done something similar on the mother and child side. So motherhood, which is our single specialty hospital for women and children. You know, when we got into that enterprise, it was just three hospitals. We are now running on our 17th hospital in the country across the metros and the tier two cities. We are in smaller cities like Coimbatore and and Indore, and we just opened a a hospital chain opportunity in Ludhiana and Chandigarh. So I think what we are seeing is that when you follow this single specialty approach, you're able to scale faster. Second, your capital utilization is very focused. So unlike in a large multi-specialty kind of an environment where you need to invest significant amount of capital on a per bed basis and ensure that you have all specialties, whether they are utilized or no. In this system, you basically just follow one specialty and make sure that you're equipped only for that specialty. That has worked very well at the EHH level. And we now run, and in fact, the third enterprise that we have is Nova IVF. Looking at, you know, and you know that there is a lot more conversation which has been happening right now about India's fertility status and why IVF is going to be, you know, more and more deep-rooted as, again, a medical procedure that a lot of uh, Indians will need. Uh, So we now have Nova IVF where we are almost now 50 centers across the country. So we now run the largest mother and child network in the country between motherhood and Nova IVF. And uh, again, all this has happened in just about four or five years' time. So this is the thesis of AHH, that you take on specialties where there is an unmet need. You go faster across the metros and tier two cities around the country. You make a massive clinical impact. Uh, We now graduate more than about 250 babies in the motherhood NICUs every month, uh, which is a big need in our community from a clinical uh, situation perspective too. So, so that's the thesis, and I think at AHH, we are building out multiple single specialties. There's something that we are now doing in ophthalmology. So we will continue to build, you know, multiple single specialty enterprises within the AHH fold. Right, that's interesting. I come to my last question, Michelle. So really a little bit of crystal ball gazing, if that's even possible in such uncertain times. But how do you see um, 2022 panning out for healthcare, especially in India? So I think, number one, we are going to continue to live in challenging environments, particularly related to COVID. We will need to accelerate our healthcare infrastructure a lot more than where we are today. So I think all the announcements of the budget and the allocations, we actually need to see these allocations get executed. Otherwise, they're just a piece of paper and they're just announcements. So I think between the announcements and actual execution, There has to be a body which also sees and provides an oversight to the execution of that capital which has been given for better healthcare infrastructure. Second, I think what is really going to happen, Jyoti, is the virtualization of care. 
I think that's going to be the next big trend, you know, and thanks to COVID and thanks to also the National Digital Health Mission. I think a lot of forces are coming together over here to provide the opportunity for India to receive virtual care. Now, whether it is virtual consultation, whether it is remote care, whether it is, you know, using the 900 million internet users in this country to be able to go online and take a teleconsult. I think we are going to see a very big change in terms of virtualization of care within the country. So I think our investments have to go not just behind physical healthcare infrastructure, but equally our investments now have to go behind the establishment of virtual care infrastructures. Lastly, I think one of the big areas of change, which we, you know, and we have constantly debated in many of our conversations also, Jyoti, that until and unless India does massive reform around education, medical education and paramedical education, we will continue to be a deficit population in terms of the ability that we will have as citizens to receive good care. India needs to graduate more doctors, India needs to graduate more nurses, and India needs to graduate many more paraclinical staff to be able to take on the load of this 1.3, 1.4 billion people. So education reform is an absolute must in this coming year. And because if we start doing something now, the impact of that is going to be felt five years from now. So every year that we are losing by not making the reform happen, we are actually probably giving our next generation worse healthcare than what we have been receiving. So something which we have to really think through more powerfully. So I think what we are also seeing is a trend of consolidation and which we will continue to see even in, uh, even in FI23 or our calendar year 22. I think entities are coming together in order to, again, optimize for reach, optimize for growth, optimize for clinical and paraclinical talent and to come together and to provide, you know, the ability to grow faster. So we are seeing a lot more consolidation in the, at least on the private side of the sector, which is good because it will mean that we will probably have access to more deeper healthcare institutions in many of the cities where we are not present today. Last but not the least, I think COVID has also shown and also what India's healthcare has seen in the last one year is that many of the healthcare enterprises are now tapping into the public markets for their funding, which is very good. So if you see the number of IPOs that have come this year, which are all related to healthcare services or now even health tech companies, is a very welcome change because for a very long period of time, we just had one or two listed entities in the country and the public markets were not being tapped as aggressively for funding. As the public markets get more tapped for funding, as you also mentioned that right now there is only private capital, which is going behind the sector, but then we will have more public capital going behind the sector. That means the sector will also become, you know, that much more accountable on the public side, which is a good situation again for the sector. So you have both the private and the public side being able to contribute the growth of the sector. I think overall COVID has sort of transformed India's healthcare. It has unleashed a new era. It has brought healthcare and to the center of the conversation, which is very good, also from a government perspective. Now it's time for all of this to combine together and to really show the difference on the ground. Let's hope that healthcare continues to be, you know, at the center of the conversation, at least for the government in the upcoming budget. 
with that we end this interaction uh, vishal thank you so much for your time and insights both from the business line team and myself this will also be the last pulse podcast for this year so we'll see you on the other side of 2022 then thank you jyothi and wish you your teams and your family a happy 2022 and hopefully new beginnings